Good evening, everyone. Um, it's good to be here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rory. Um, I'm married to Hannah, who's sitting down in, in the church as well. Um, we have two little children, two and one. Uh, I call them children. They're absolute rockets. Usually at church, and this is going to be one of the only weeks I'll be able to speak and not have to fend my two-year-old off from uh, grabbing my leg and shouting things. So, um, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, myself and my wife, Hannah, were part of Willowfield for nearly 10 years. Um, it was a place that was, um, it still is, um, really close to us. We love coming back here. We love um, being part of the community that meets here. Um, I experienced, and Hannah experienced God in really deep and profound ways in this place, um, in, in my life, in the lives of those around me. So I'm really grateful for this place. Um, I find it funny that I'm standing here now and I'm not sitting down there, um, but um, God works in mysterious ways. Um, but yeah, this was a place that actually shaped me into the person that I am today. Um, although since David's left, they seem to have um, let anyone come and speak now. So um, the standards <laughs> seem to have dropped. But if I'm any good, maybe you could pay me tonight in toilet roll. Um, I haven't managed to get to Tesco's yet. Um, that would be brilliant. Um, some of you guys are maybe here this time last nearly, well, six or seven months ago when I was ordained here and David Jardine and we had our robes on and we, we did all that type of thing and had the scarves on and, and all that kind of thing. That was brilliant. We loved that. Um, but I've been leading a church in Money Ray, which is just up the road from here. It's a church plant from the Diocese of Down and Dremore, our diocese, and I've been there um, with Hannah for nearly four years. Um, I do keep an eye on what's happening at Willowfield. I'm still friends with loads of people who, who go here. Um, and I, I love this um, 100 days of prayer. I love this thing of awakening. I love the community that is not just here at Willowfield, but is being joined together with other churches across East Belfast. And um, as, as Mark asked me to speak um, on Acts 11 tonight, um, it's funny even what George was praying and what he prayed at the start how God brings things together because um, Acts 11 is all about the church in Antioch. We'll go on to read it in a moment. It's about God building his church, of God growing uh, his kingdom. And I love the 100 days of prayer, looking at awakening our souls, our city and our land. It's crying out to God to move afresh, to equip his church to see his kingdom come in this city, in this land. And it's, I say it's funny because... Um, Part of my story as I shared about being at Willowfield and being in Money Ray is that actually God has, has moved in my life and shown me and given me a really deep burden for the church and for the local church. And a few years ago, um, when I was trying to figure out where I was going with my life and what I was doing, I was reading the book of Ephesians and I was reading and it really struck me what God's purpose was for the church, the power and the authority that the church has and how sometimes I felt the real burden that actually I don't play my part in that. Do we play our part in that? And actually when we do, how we can see God move mightily. So as I said, preparing for this and reading this has been challenging for me in my own life. I've been re-inspired to, um, to what it means to be part of the church, what it means to be part of the body of Christ and actually what God calls his church to be. Um, and just as we begin tonight, as we, as we look at Acts 11, I'm going to read uh, verses 19 to 30 in a, in a little moment. But I want you to pause for a moment. I'd love you just to close your eyes wherever um, you're sitting. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit tonight to minister to you. 
that this is not just a nice talk that I'm going to give. This is not just me telling a nice story, but actually God wants you personally to respond to his word tonight. Invite the Holy Spirit to give you fresh understanding and show you what you can do. Not just that you leave thinking that was nice, that was good, but actually you leave with a clearer, a clearer understanding of what it is God is challenging you with. That he would transform you, that he would create a deep response within you. And that he would teach you as we respond together. This is not about me. This is not about George or Mark or all the guys involved in the 100 days of prayer. This is about all of us. If we're going to see awakening in this place, it is all of us. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much that you're a God who is alive. You're a God who is living. You're a God who is here. You're amongst us. You're with us. Lord, we just open our lives afresh to you as we come to your word, Lord, that it is living and active, speaks into every part of our life, every part of our community, every part of our land. Lord, and we pray that we open ourselves to what it is that you want to say in our lives. And Lord, not that just we listen, not just that we comprehend it, Lord, but actually it drives us to action. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come through your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We're going to read Acts 11, uh, verses 19 to 30. It's in the Bibles in your seats. It's on page 920. So the church in Antioch. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Paul. Amen. So I want to begin, um, I know you've been going through the book of Acts, I want to begin by just giving a little bit of a background to where we are in this story of Acts. And some things that maybe we can learn from this, something that challenge, some things that challenge us through this. So Luke, um, who, who wrote Acts, is telling us here about the founding of the church in Antioch becomes the launch of the mission to the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, and eventually the whole world. We wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for what we read in these passages about Antioch. And much of this is a flashback. It's picking up from um, what Karen spoke on, on the stoning of Stephen and the scattering of the believers through persecution in Acts chapter 8, the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 9, 
And Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10 where God calls him and tells him not to regard things that are clean as unclean and Cornelius and his family come to faith and are filled with the Holy Spirit. This comes off the back of God working and changing people's hearts and minds to realize that his kingdom is open not just for the Jews, it's open for the Gentiles and the whole world. Now Acts 11 begins by telling us, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. We know that through the martyrdom of Stephen that has occurred, Saul was there. He gave the okay for his death. He held people's coats. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and it scattered the believers through Judea and Samaria. Things didn't look good. In this story, we see Satan trying to divide. We see the enemy trying to divide and destroy what God is doing. But in the midst of this, we see God moving We see God multiplying. We see these followers of Jesus who are no doubt deeply and immensely impacted by the persecution, with their lives being turned upside down. But they are not defined and broken by their circumstances. They are not defined and broken by their circumstances, even when Satan tries to destroy and divide, because God is moving. In this story, we see a group of people who are facing persecution, hardship, trials, are facing uncertainty, physically, emotionally, spiritually, their whole lives have been turned upside down. These guys were powerless, seemingly insignificant, refugees pushed out of where they were from. They were facing prejudice. They wouldn't necessarily have been welcome as they came to Antioch or came to these other places. And they were facing paganism. See, Antioch, if we read the history of it, was the capital of the Roman province of Syria. It was the third largest city in the ancient world after Rome and Alexandria. It had a population of around 400,000. This was an advanced megacity for its age. It was where east meets west. It was the route to Damascus, to Jerusalem, to Rome. It was full of all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds who did all sorts of things. And unsurprisingly, this was a city that was far from God. It was far from the Lord. And I think, um, as I read this for us tonight, even as I reflected this afternoon, that although we may not be facing persecution in this moment, but in the midst of this coronavirus outbreak that George was speaking about a minute ago, where we face uncertain times, We won't know maybe what the next few weeks or months will bring or what they look like. And as we pray and ask God to move afresh in this land as part of 100 days, that there are things that we can learn, deep things that we can learn, kingdom things that we can learn from the church in Antioch of how we carry ourselves, of how we live out our faith, how we bring peace, hope and comfort into whatever situation we find ourselves and those around us find themselves in. So tonight I've got three things. I've got three things that I I believe that I learned that we can learn tonight from this passage. And I've got three things that I think God is challenging us with as we leave. So three kingdom things that I think we can learn and three challenges that I think God has for us. 
So firstly, when, the read, when we read the text, it is clear to me, it jumps out at me that we, as well as these people, were called to be godly people. Acts 11 verse 26 tells us the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. They were first called Christians. They were known as followers of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, meaning God's anointed deliverer king. They were known in Antioch, this city full of all these people from all these places. They were known as the king's people. They were known as Jesus's people. Now, it may well have been a derogatory term, a negative term that they were, they were branded with. But people in this city knew who they were. They were under no illusion of who these people were. They knew they were different. These people were thinking and speaking in such a way that they were known as followers of Jesus. They were distinct and they were different from the people around them. N.T. Wright says this, The first Christians were not just known as the king's people. They were known as people who precisely because that king was Jesus himself were committed at the deepest level, giving themselves in love to one another and to all in need. Now, if I'm really honest, I'm pretty sure a lot of people who know me and maybe have known me and maybe still know me, the first thing when they think of me, maybe the first thing that comes to their mind isn't that he's a follower of Jesus. Maybe it is and that's brilliant. But, you know, maybe some of my friends or my family or people I play football with, maybe their first thing about me is not that I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe they describe me as something else. I'm sure Hannah would have a few words that um, she could describe me by. And yet, in the persecuted church today, we see people who are willing to give up their life, who are willing to suffer and die and persevere in their unwavering faith in Jesus. And yet, in my life, some people in my family, maybe some of my friends, wouldn't describe and see me as a follower of Jesus. And that breaks my heart. I hope it breaks all of our hearts tonight that actually we sometimes fail in being godly people. I wonder in our life, in your families, in your jobs, in your social circles, whatever it is, Would people see you as Jesus' people? Do they see you as godly people? I know Karen challenged you a few weeks ago about um, inviting people to church or even telling people you go to church. Are we godly people? Are we known as followers of Jesus? Not that we tell people certain things all the time, but just by who we are, that people know that we follow Jesus. Do our lives reflect the kingdom of God and not the world that is around us? Are our choices, our decisions, our lifestyle based on the teaching and life of Jesus? Are our marriages, our singleness, our careers, our money, how we spend our free time, what we watch on our TV or on our iPads, even how we respond to this challenge that we face now of the coronavirus? How are we known tonight here in Willowfield? How are we known? Because we're called to be the king's people. We're called to be Jesus's people. The second part of being godly that we read of in Acts 11 is that we are called to be godly. And part of that means that we are to be reading and immersing ourselves in God's word. Learning, listening, 
we read here in Acts 11 that it shapes the church. It shapes this community of believers and it should shape us. Verse 26 says, For a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. See, we're challenged to be known as people who follow Jesus, of the king's people in every area of our life. But we're also called to be people who are shaped by his word. We can't be the king's people unless we read his word. And we're led by his spirit. We are open to the promptings, to the voice of the Lord as we're reading his word and as we're living our lives. And I wonder tonight with everything that's happening, are we letting fear, are we letting anxiety, are we letting worry grip us? As George said, are we the ones in Tesco's buying a trolley full of toilet roll and as much pasta it would take to feed an army? Are we those people? Or are we living kingdom lives even in this moment? Are we known for our sure and certain hope in times of trouble? Even when it means that we don't know what happens, we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know who's going to get sick, we don't know when schools are going to be off, we don't know anything. Are we known in this moment as Jesus' people? Or do we just look like everybody else? We're out doing what everyone else is doing. We're sharing all those, you know, end of, the, end of times memes on Facebook. Are we the same or are we living our lives for the kingdom? So firstly, we're called to be godly people. Secondly, we've only got three, so two more. Secondly, we are called to be a going people. What was the response we read of these people in this text? They'd been persecuted. Stephen had been killed. Saul was out to get them to destroy the church. What was the response? What were the options that they had? Because I think the options they had are the same options as we have today. When we face opposition, trials, when we face prejudice, when we face a pagan or secular worldview coming against us, I think there's three options. The first option for us and for them was withdrawal. That it's the every man for himself attitude. Let's just get out of here. I'm not having this. They could have retreated, they could have hidden, they could have withdrawn. It's the same for us, for the trials, the tribulations, for the society we face. We can withdraw, we can choose to go away and hide on our own. The second thing, choice that they had was conformity. They could have looked at it and we could look at uh, the things going on around us and say, you know what, let's just go with it. It seems right, everybody's doing it. We bow to the culture. They could bow to the culture in the city they find themselves in. We see that's happening so much today where Christians just give in. They bow down to the culture around them. They just blend in. They're the same. We do the same thing. We say the same things as everybody else. Or we have this third option that we see the church in Antioch doing. They lived and moved into the city where they found themselves with the good news of Jesus. With their story of how Jesus had met them. How he had transformed them. How they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit and how they had allowed God to use them to reach others. They were living kingdom lives. See, this takes trust. It takes obedience. It takes openness to his leading. It's not easy. But we are called to be people who go, not people who withdraw, not people who conform, but we're called to go forward into the place where we are 
the place where we're planted, the place where we work, the place where our family live, the community we live in, we are called to go and live kingdom lives in the midst of it. And the amazing thing about this is that these people, they were, they were nobodies. In verse 20, we're told they are men from Cyprus and Cyrene who went to Antioch, began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. We don't even know their name. We don't know their name. These people were part of the beginning of the explosion of the kingdom of God, the explosion of the church in the world, changing the face of the world as we know it, and yet we don't even know their name. And I thought to myself, why is that? Why do we not find, surely these are people we could lift up high, we could talk about, we could do seminars on church growing and church planting using these guys' names. And I thought to myself, I thought of my own journey and I thought of, um, yeah, I thought of my time in Willowfield and seeing people around me, God using them to reach other people. And it, it, it dawned on me, this is not a, a really holy moment, but it dawned on me that every member of the church is gifted to exercise ministry. In Ephesians 4.12, it tells us that the purpose of those called to any form of church leadership is what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. See, if we rely on full-time ministers, on pastors, on evangelists, on kids and youth workers, if we let them do all the work and we say, it's on you, you're the ones who are called to do this, the church will be limited. It will be limited. God will still use it, but it will be limited. But if we are to fulfill our God-given roles in the church, if we step forward into ministry as these guys did, unnamed, unknown, we don't learn anything about them. If we, like them, step forward into our God-given roles in the church, it will be built up and grow. We will see an awakening in our souls, in our city, and in our land. This book of the Bible, it just says Acts, but its full name is the Acts of the Apostles. The funny thing in this story is that the apostles aren't anywhere to be seen. They're not there. They're not even with the people. The people are on their own. In verse 22, it says they had to be informed of what was going on in Antioch. These guys weren't apostles. They weren't with them. They were ordinary people. They were empowered by the Spirit. They were living transformed kingdom lives where God had put them, where they found themselves. They were people of the king pursuing kingdom living. And we see an awakening. We see people in this ungodly, secular, crazy megacity coming in great numbers, it tells us, to the Lord and being baptized. We're not told about their gifts, their training, their qualifications, their connections. We're not told even their names. And as we go deeper into the text here, we see the Greek word that is used for speak here. It doesn't mean anything fancy. It means normal conversation. It didn't mean they were necessarily standing up on soapboxes outside the city center, outside the city hall, preaching at people or in the marketplaces or the synagogues, but just in their everyday conversation with those they met. And the challenge to us from this tonight is to be a going people. We can see what they saw. We can be part of what they were part of. You can see God move in and through your life and those around you. How? Verse 21 
is the only thing that tells us anything to do with how it says the, the Lord's hand was with them. See, if we're obedient, if we're faithful, God will use us. If we seek earnestly and authentically after him, he will use us. We are filled and we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells within each of us. I don't think I will ever get my head around that. When you come into the family of God, the Holy Spirit dwells. God himself is in you. So he can use you and he will use you if you are open to going with him. So tonight, are we willing to go? It may not even be very far. I'm not saying we have to be missionaries to be sent across the world. Are you willing to go to your workplaces? Are you willing to go to your communities, to your friends, to your family? And I'm not saying this is easy. This is incredibly, incredibly difficult. It comes from a place of trust, a place of being close to the Lord, of being godly people. But are we willing to go? And what happens? Verse 22 to 24, we read what Barnabas saw. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, and we skip forward, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. He saw grace of God and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. In a Gentile city full of sin, of ungodliness, he saw the grace of God. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Awakening, 100 days. Isn't that what this is about? Isn't that what this is about? We long to see the grace of God at work. We long to see considerable numbers of people come to the Lord. But we have to understand he calls, he fills, he empowers, he sends all of us. Ordinary people, we all are called to go. We can all go. And God will use all of us to see his kingdom come. The challenge is, are we willing to be a people who, want, who go? Or are we settling for a faith of consumption that I turn up on a Sunday, I hear a good talk, I have good worship, I go home, I do my thing. Are we willing to be a people who really live kingdom lives and go wherever we are for God? See, the crazy thing about God and his kingdom is that we get to be a part of it. God uses the broken. He uses the powerless, the insignificant. He uses me. He uses you. He uses the unnamed men in Acts 11. Through the power of his spirit, we see his kingdom come. And he uses the church to reach the world, to reach our neighbors, to reach our families, to reach our friends, our colleagues. That's how he works. That's how he works. Let's be a people who go. And lastly, the third thing that we learn from the church in Antioch is that we are called to be a generous people. Even when it seems we should be the ones who are receiving. As we've said, these unnamed men had been through persecution. Their lives had been turned upside down. They'd, they'd left their homes. They'd left everything they'd known. And they'd been, ended up in this place in Antioch. In a new city, facing prejudice and paganism, and yet they chose to be generous. In verses 27 to 29, we read this. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. The church in Antioch, their response to the word from the prophet 
was to spontaneously give. We don't read they were told to give. They came up with the idea themselves as each one was able. They didn't gather together and say, listen, we've had a rough time here. Let's look after ourselves, and then we'll see what's left. The response was to give, to be generous. They trusted God and gave from a generous heart, just as God had been generous and given to them. Uh, Tim Keller, in one of his books, says this, be so sacrificially loving that the people around you who don't believe what you believe will soon be unable to imagine the place without you. I'll read that again. Be so sacrificially loving that the people around you who don't believe what you believe will soon be unable to imagine the place without you. The call of the church, as we read from Antioch, not just then, throughout history, now, is to go on remembering others, the poor, those in need, that we're always open to serve, to bless, to help in every circumstance. And not just the crumbs, not just what's left. We're called to give from a generous heart. We're called to give the best people, the best help, because God gave us everything through Jesus. As we finish, I just want to show this little picture. Um, in Money Ray, over the next kind of couple of weeks, um, we're challenging people um, in the climate of kind of fear and of uh, in- insecurity and uncertainty. We want to challenge people to be generous. We want to challenge people to choose generosity. It says, let's be aware of those who are most impacted by the virus, the self-employed whose work is affected by loss of earnings and no sick pay, the vulnerable, the lonely of little support or access to basic needs. It could be your neighbor or your window cleaner. Choose generosity. Give a bonus to help financially. Make sure people have enough love, your neighbor. That's my challenge to myself. That's my challenge to the church in Money Ray that in the midst of this craziness that we don't lose sight of what the Bible tells us, of what God calls the church to be. He calls us to be generous. What did, what did Jesus say in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to be generous. The church in Antioch, those unnamed men going through turbulent time in their lives, in the middle of this sinful, unknown place, that God was somehow using them and working through them and seeing his kingdom come. They could have been selfish. They could have looked inward. But they chose to be generous. And God blessed it. God was with them. He was with it. And tonight God goes before us. God is with us. But we are called to walk in the example of these unknown men in Antioch and the church in Antioch, to be godly people, to be going people, and to be generous people. And as we finish, I just want to share a a story about my two-year-old daughter that happened this week. Um, She's an absolute rocket. She is 100 miles an hour all the time. There's no rest with her. Um, But she's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. She comes off with some really, really funny stuff and and some really good stuff. So uh, Hannah was reading a book with her um, called Following Jesus. Is that what it was called? It was called Following Jesus. And it was 
a little book about, you know, a kid's book about following Jesus. So she kind of read, read it through with her and Phoebe sat for maybe a few moments and then jumped up and down and read a bit more. And when she finished reading the book, she kind of walked off into the kitchen and then came back and turned to Hannah and said, Mommy, I want to follow Jesus. And Hannah said, what? Phoebe, that's amazing. You want to follow Jesus? And she said, yeah, I'll get my coat. Should we go now? And I love that picture. I love that childlike faith, that childlike uh, 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 just attitude of, well, I want to follow him. I'll get my coat because I want to go where he's going. And I think the challenge for us tonight, as we read Acts 11, as we pursue this awakening in our church, in our, in our souls, in our city and in our land, is that we need to be people just like Phoebe was, just like this, these unnamed people where we're saying, I'm going to get my coat. Where's Jesus taking me? Where are we going? What is he doing? I'm going to be part of it. Because when we have that attitude, when we have a heart that seeks after his kingdom first, we will see an awakening. We will see the things of God come to fruition in our lives. And maybe ask the, the band to come back up and uh, maybe even the prayer ministry team, you guys could um, come forward. And as we finish tonight, the challenge is that this isn't about George or Mark or the other churches or me or anyone else. It's about all of us. It's a collective thing. We are all going to be used by God in his kingdom. Dallas Willard said this, We are built to live in the kingdom of God. It is our natural habitat. So maybe tonight as the the worship begins again and as we respond, we can ask God to make us a people like the men in Antioch, like the church in Antioch who are going to seek after what he has for us. That actually we're going to say, I'm going to get my coat. Where's Jesus taking me? So tonight as we worship, there's going to be some more specific things. But even if you feel a weight for the church, if you feel a weight in your soul tonight for God to move mightily in East Belfast, in this land, maybe you can come forward and put your hand up actually and just get some prayer and say, I want to play my part. I want to be part of the church. I want to be part of what God is doing. I'm not going to sit here anymore. I'm not going to do nothing, but actually I'm going to put my hand up. So maybe as as these guys lead in worship as we finish, if you want to come for prayer and just ask God to bless and move through you, that the Holy Spirit will fill you and empower you and we'll see God's kingdom come in your life. Amen.